0: I know many of us last week were really stirred and challenged at the clarity and reality about how we're to live as Christ followers, what we're to actually do with our lives. So for the first reading today, here it is again, guessing we need to hear it one more time and again and again. From Matthew 25, then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? As if that isn't clear enough, we complete today's reading by zooming a few chapters forward to the end of Matthew's account of Jesus's life, where we read of Jesus's last instructions to us in Matthew 28. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In
1: 1948, 1948, a small synagogue in New Jersey called as their rabbi, a young rabbinical student, not yet out of school. And that's not uncommon across all traditions. My first church position, my first church job, I was still in Bible college, and my first pastorate, I was still in seminary. So, you know, if you're willing to take a risk on someone young and give them a safe place to kind of grow up and get their feet beneath them, it's a good thing to do. And so that's what this congregation did. And they thought they would provide him a little help As he got started, and he ended up giving them so much more. That young rabbi's name was Albert Lewis. And he would spend the rest of his life in that one congregation and would never leave it. His congregants simply called him the Reb, which is a term of affection for rabbis. And he would go on to be a world-renowned writer, educator, spiritual leader, cohesive force within conservative Judaism, He was immortalized by Mitch Album in his book and movie, Have a Little Faith. But at home, Albert Lewis was just the reb, the shepherd to that congregation. Now, I am not the reb, but I do need to show you this. I go by the rev at my house now, just so y'all know. The reverend, that's right. Please don't call me Reverend. Please don't call me Doctor. Please don't call me Pat. do Reverend It'll be just fine. That's a, that's a Christmas gift from my son Bryce there on my right, your left, and uh, with his stud man-crossed arms right there. And uh, I think that's the finest Christmas present I've ever received in my life because it's a Georgia Bulldogs jersey, by the way. And If you turn it around, you get to see that. But you had to see do Reverend there. He came up with that all on his own. That's why he's the favorite. So... I utterly love a story that the Reb, not the Rev, told on a Shabbat almost 50 years ago. A man seeks employment with a farmer, and he brings with him a letter of recommendation, a reference letter, and he hands it to the farmer. It has one line. He sleeps in the storm. That was it. And this farmer was like, well, what else can I do? I don't have any real prospects of hiring anyone else. You got the job. So he takes the job, and for a few weeks, everything's fine. Uh, He's a hard worker. Everything's uneventful. And then in the middle of the night, one night, a storm comes sweeping through the valley where this farm is, just tearing everything to pieces. And the farmer gets up in the middle of the night, horrified that he's going to lose everything. And he goes to where his working man is asleep, and he tries to rouse him from bed. He's just laying there asleep. He has no time to fool with it. He puts his rain jacket on. He runs to the barn. And to his amazement, when he gets in the barn, all the cows are locked up in their stalls, safe and sound. They have feed. The bales of straw and wheat already covered up with tarpaulins and strapped down. He runs out to the silo. He gets there. The, The doors to the silo are chained shut. All of his grain is dry. He runs back home, wet, cold, but very happy. And he looks in again at that sleeping man. And those words come back to his mind. He sleeps in the storm. The Reb's point is this. If you wait until the storm comes, you've waited too late. You have to live your life ready, prepared. Then you can sleep in the storm because there's nothing to worry about. He says this. If we tend to the things that are important in life. If we are right with those we love and behave in line with our faith. We will never have to wallow in the agony of I could have, I should have. We can sleep in the storm. Now, that's a sermon all in of itself. And if you're wishing that I would just quit right there, I'm not going to, but I could. If we live like that. We would likely head most of our problems off at the pass. We would be far less reactive. And much more at peace. For your own part. Think about maybe how reactive you are. Think about maybe how reactive some people in your life are. I have some people in my life that are so reactive. That I want to stamp them with a nuclear symbol on their shirt. They move. Crisis to crisis. They move problem to problem. They are always running out into the storm as if their hair is on fire to try to solve something. When if they had just done their work. They could be sound asleep in their bed. You you hear what I'm saying? He sleeps in the storm. Some of us can't sleep in the storm because our work is not done and we have to make decisions only when we are forced to. And when you're forced to make a decision, it's hard to make a good decision under pressure, right? Well, hold on to that thought. Let that thought just sit right over here for a minute. I'm coming back. We join once again the parable of the sheep and the goats from last week. A quick reminder. At the end of the age, Christ gathers the nations of the world before him. Gathers all the people of the world and he divides them into sheep, the righteous, and to goats, the unrighteous. And the sheep go on to their eternal reward. The goats go to eternal punishment, eternal judgment, sent away to their own destruction. What is the dividing line? It all comes down to the least of these. Remember that phrase? Who are these least of these? Well, Jesus lists them several times in the text. The poor, the destitute, the defenseless. We could say it that way. Specifically, he's talking about those who are hungry, thirsty, thirsty. A stranger, naked, in prison. And how you react to these people, how you respond to these people, determines the ultimate outcome. The punchline is this. I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And as I said last week, Jesus always, always shows up in and with the poor. Jesus is is always out there, out there with the suffering. And while we like to speak of Jesus in our hearts, we like to speak of Jesus in our midst, we don't find Jesus here, we find Jesus out there. And we don't so much take Jesus to the world as if we find Jesus already in the world among the suffering. I quoted St. Vincent de Paul. Standing over the Eucharist, standing over the communion table, told of a beggar outside that needed help. He said, "Then I am going from Jesus, as Jesus, to Jesus." That's how little his understanding was of this parable. And then I left you with a challenge. You can't undo everything that is wrong in the world. You can't serve everyone. You can't dry every tear. You can't single-handedly tear down the oppressive systems. To use Pauline language, the principalities and powers that keep the least of these as the least of these. But you can love and serve those who are within your reach. And Jesus himself will always be within your reach because there will always be someone around you who is suffering. Now, let's try to sew these two threads together. The threads of these two Jewish rabbis, Albert Lewis, the rabbi from New Jersey, and Jesus, the rabbi from Nazareth. To serve the least of these, to find Jesus in the world, to ultimately be counted among the righteous, is not something you react to. Oh, my God, there's a crisis out here. We got to do something. And so what do we do? We run out into the storm. We got to fix things. We got to make sure everything's all right. We got to solve this problem. We got to save the world or at least save our world. And we are reacting, reacting, charged. Let's do something. But no. To serve the least of these, to find Jesus in the world, to ultimately be counted among the righteous, is not something you react to. It's not something you do. It's something that you are. It's not something you react to. It's not something you do. It's something that you are. Stay with me. I'm still sewing here, all right? And sewing takes a while. After the talk I gave last Sunday, or any talk like that, where you deal with that parable, there are many people that leave with this gnawing in their gut or a pull in their heart that you should do something. Don't just stand there, do something. I like it. I'm glad you feel that way. I appreciate it. Listen to that voice, that gnawing, that pull. But you shouldn't necessarily do something like this. Oh, my Lord, Jesus is in the poor. Bring me a poor person. <laughs> Where are they? It's 30A. <laughs> Sorry, I live in Freeport. You know, it's easy to. <laughs> we do the whole Michigan thing. Upper Peninsula. Snowbirds here, maybe from Michigan? You you, you you peers, you uppers, what do you call the people on the other side of the Mackinac Bridge? Trolls. That's exactly right. <laughs> that's what's going on in Freeport, just so you know. The trolls are on the other side of the, anyway. <laughs> this is a real icky example, but it's true. There's a church that I know of that, that got this fever to help a poor family, Christmas time. So they buy a bunch of gifts, get all the kids sizes, names, you know, we've done this. And they get all these presents, all this great food. And rather than taking these presents and all this food to the family at home and saying, Merry Christmas, we love you, we're going to be checking in on you. If you need anything, let us know. They didn't do that. They brought the family to the church and had them open their presents on stage in front of the entire congregation. And then they say something like this, I just don't understand why them people wasn't more grateful. Grateful? They're ashamed. You took away from them their dignity. They're embarrassed. Don't do that. I don't think any of you are going to go out and do that, but don't do that. But that's kind of the sensation we get. Oh, we got to help somebody. And we stumble over ourselves trying to run out there and and fix something and what we're doing is reacting we're not actually being or after a talk like the one i gave last week we head off to serve soup at the mission we volunteer at the health clinic we write an extra check to the salvation army or what have you and then we feel relieved and these are all good these are proper and if you feel moved to do those things you should do them And if you feel moved to do those things and you don't do them, I hope you don't sleep until you do them. But what I'm saying is this. You'll sleep better. You'll sleep through the storm. If you become the kind of person who just loves the least of these naturally, it's just who you are. Rather than taking on another assignment, rather than adding something to your schedule, rather than riding up and down the road just looking for a poor person, Rather than caving into shame or fear or to guilt, you don't have to react. Just be. Maybe let it be should have been the song instead of all you need is love. But it works just the same. Last week I left out one of the most obvious, most important things about this parable. I did it on purpose. I knew I was coming back because I knew I didn't have time to say everything I wanted to say. And I wonder if you noticed. Jesus says the same thing to these two groups. I came to you. I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was a stranger. I was naked. I was in prison. I came to you like that. And both groups have the same reaction. What? When? Where? How did, how did this get by us? We didn't see that. Both groups. They're absolutely oblivious. And that tells you right there that the righteous were not out there in the world with a bleeding heart, do-gooding crusade to fix everything. They were just out there as the righteous, good, loving people that God had called them to be. They were serving Christ and didn't even know it. How wonderful is that? To not even have reward, to have motivation, to have some far off prize in mind. I'm just doing this because this is what I do. Now are you picking up what I'm laying down? These people didn't go looking. They were just living, just going about their day, oblivious to the larger implications of their actions, but not oblivious to the needs around them. When they saw someone who needed help, they gave it. When they saw someone struggling, they lent a hand. When they saw someone hurting, they took a few extra minutes. When the school was feeding some poor kids, they packed extra lunches. When someone suffered an injustice or was up against a problem they could not solve on their own, they jumped in without a second thought. They had nothing to prove, only love to give. And that's what it's all about right there. That's all I'm trying to say. And that's all I think I've ever been trying to say. And it brings me to the second scripture. That reading from Matthew 28. These verses known as the Great Commission. The great sending text for the church. Get out there. Get busy. Make some disciples. Teach them. Baptize them. Chop, chop, chop. Get organized. Get a committee. Hire somebody. Let's go. It's all true. Get out there. But there has been this suspicious translation problem with this verse since the English Bible was translated. And I'm going to show it to you right here and I won't get into all the cognates and prepositions and everything that's used. So just, here it is. Traditionally, therefore go and make disciples. The better translation is the second one. Therefore, as you are going, make disciples. Well, that's a big difference. Therefore go. I got to go to the Congo. I got everybody else in the church has been going down there to El Salvador. I guess I need to go now too. I got to go where? I got to drop this and go to You might God might call you to do that. But look at that second line. As you are going. As you live your life. As you raise your family. As you go to work each day, as you interact with your neighbors, as you volunteer in the community, as you are going, make disciples. This isn't something we gin up or force or even try. It's something we become as the living Christ and the love of Christ begins to shape and transform us from within into his image. When we become loving people. You don't, <laughs> somebody's calling, better answer that. When we become loving people, you don't have to look very far to find a place to love people. You don't have to go to the other side of the world. You, you just have to be you then. You don't have to try hard. Go with it and serve the people that are around you. I'm hung up on Jewish rabbis today, so here's one more rabbi story. It's called The Rabbi's Gift. It's been around for years. I love this story. There was a monastery deep in the woods that had seen much better days. It had once been a thriving order, a real spiritual center for an entire community. But the monks there had aged, and they weren't being replaced by anyone younger. It was just a few tottering old men in stone-cold buildings. In this monastery's woods, there was a little cabin. And in that cabin, a rabbi would come from time to time from town and retreat there, pray, be alone. And one day, the abbot told all the brothers, I'm going to see the rabbi. Maybe he can help us. He's a wise man. So he goes to see the rabbi, walks through the woods, comes over the hill. There's the cabin. The rabbi is standing in the door as if he expected the abbot to arrive. They never really talked that much, but they embrace and they sit down in front of this great fire. And the abbot begins to weep. And then the rabbi begins to weep. And they just cry together like children for a while. And finally, the rabbi speaks and he says, I think I know why you've come here today. You've come looking for a solution. You've come to ask some kind of teaching from me that will help restore your community. I got nothing. It's the same at my synagogue. There's nobody left there. Nobody comes anymore, but a few old women and a couple small children. That's it. I, I've got nothing to tell you. So the abbot gets up to leave. After a little while, he goes to the door and just as he's leaving, he turns back around to the rabbi and says, are you sure Is there not something you can say? Is there not something you can tell me to take back to the brothers that will help us? And the rabbi out there in the woods all alone says, well. There might be something. He Leans way over into the abbot's ear and he says. One of you. Is the Messiah. And he shuts the door. The abbot walks back home. Next morning he gets up. They have breakfast. Say the prayers. Gathers the brothers together. And he says, I went to see the rabbi. They all come forward listening, hanging on his words. What did the rabbi say? Nothing really. But he did say that one of us is the Messiah. It starts to have a profound effect on them. They're going about their day. And brother Joseph is saying, huh. I wonder if it's the abbot. Could be the abbot. I wonder I wonder if it's Brother Jonathan. It could it's not Brother Philip. (laughs) Well, it could be Brother Philip. (laughs) Surely he wasn't talking about me. (laughs) He wasn't talking about oh my god, what if he was talking about me? What happens with the brothers is they begin to treat one another and treat themselves with a kind of love that they had never shown before on the off chance that the rabbi was right and that among them was the Messiah. You see what happens when you start seeing Jesus just everywhere? It changes your perspective and it gives you a love from within that exceeds anything that we can muster up. On our own. So here's your challenge today. You ready? Don't ask. What else can I do? God, we live in the most doing culture that's ever existed on the face of the earth. Don't ask what else I can do. Ask this. How can I become. A more loving. Person. Because if you. If you will do all that you do with all the love that you can love it with. You will be miraculously transformed into the person that Jesus Christ is making you to be. And that is the exact person this world needs right now as well.